Hi everyone, I'm Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Konrad Buczewski, postdoctoral fellow at the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, and Dr. Marianne Goh, postdoctoral researcher in the Neural Coding and Neurodegenerative Disease Laboratory led by Dr. Simon Schultz at Imperial College London. Recently, Dr. Yachevsky and Dr. Goh joined us for a webinar where they present data on two-photon imaging of hippocampal place cells and on stress monitoring in head-fixed awake and behaving mice. Let's jump right in. The first question of the day is for you, Conrad. You said that you wrap the animal in a piece of flannel and then transfer it to the head-fixed apparatus. Is it necessary to use the flannel? And what kind of flannel do you use? So actually, we use regular cotton fabric, and each animal has its own piece of material. We took into account that olfaction is one of the most important sensory modalities for rodents, and a new scent of unknown animal may constitute an additional stress factor. So if it, is it necessary to use wrapping? I know that some people don't use it, but we didn't do any systematic comparison. But from our observation, it seems that it's much easier for the experimenter to calm down the animal when using the flannel especially when you have students that you need to teach these procedures. And also transferring and head-fixing procedures seems to be more consistent and can be repeated in a similar manner between different animals and different experimenters. So that's why we like it. Perfect. Thanks, Conrad. And out of curiosity, Anne, do you use flannel in your research? No, actually, I don't use a flannel. I just handle the mouse with my hand while tra when transferring it to the cage, and I just grab the, the head plate directly. All right. Well, and maybe you could lead this next question here. What is the advantage of using an airlifted platform like the Neurotar system over virtual reality? That's a good question. I would say the airlifted platform, such as the Neurotar, it's a real world system compared to virtual reality environments. So it allows for sensory feedback such as from tactile cues, which may give the animal more information for path integration. Okay, interesting. And Conrad, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think I agree with Fan that we don't really know, at least at this point, if rodents experience virtual reality similarly to humans, and in particular because vision is not their main sensor modality. And in this context, the main advantage of Neurotar system is that uh, we can use a battery of behavioral experiments that are based on the sensory stimulus. And it's natural for the animal, and the animal's response corresponds more directly to the real-life experience. So definitely this big advantage. Excellent. Okay, next question here. Can you comment on the surgical procedure for head fixation? How long does it take generally, and how is the head plate fixed to the skull? Conrad, maybe you could lead this one. Sure. It depends on the experience of the person performing surgery, but I would say that the fastest surgery I have done took about 30 minutes. Its length depends on the drying time of dental acrylic or glue or whatever you use to fix the head plate, and it may extend the procedure, obviously. In terms of details, after leveling the skull, uh, I carefully cleaned the remaining tissue with hydrogen peroxidase, alcohol, and saline. Then after drilling holes uh, for the fixing of the screws, I put some crazy glue on the skull and then on the head plate and place the head plate on the skull. After a few minutes, I place the screws in the skull to support the head plate and fill the space between the head plate and the skull with dental acrylic. So that's in short. 
Perfect. And Anne, do you have anything to add to that? Yes, that's a very interesting, Conrad. I don't actually screw the head plate onto the skull, mm -hmm. but I use a histoacryl glue, glue to attach the head plate directly onto the skull, and then I, I surround it with a dental cement. But what I found made a big difference was making scratch marks onto the skull uh, before I did any gluing. So making sure the surface is really clean and dry and making all these scratch marks that really helped the, the head plate attach tightly to the, or strongly to the head, uh, to the skull rather. Oh, it sounds like it may be a good idea for my problem with head plates coming off. Even though I put the screws, I still have problem with head plates coming off. So thanks yeah, for that. Yeah, that really made a difference for me. Perfect. Great. Here's the next question here. Maybe, Conrad, you can address this one first again. But which behavioral tasks, in your opinion, work best during head fixation in the mobile home cage? For example, open fields, your novel object recognition, spatial learning, place preference, operant conditioning, and social interaction? So to, to be honest, I, I didn't really test any behavioral task in this head fixation setting yet. But at this point, I would say that all the tasks you mentioned are feasible. Obviously, the outcomes of behavioral experiments in the head fix setting may be different to the ones performed in the truly moving animal. Therefore, uh, in my opinion, it is important to carefully design controlled experiments in the freely moving animals and to compare behavioral and physiological outcomes alike. Perfect. And Anne, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, so in my case, I've tested mice in the airlifted platform in, in the open field and circular linear tracks. And they are able to learn how to navigate in these different environments. However, we have preliminary information or data in the open field place cell mapping, and we've found spatial selectivity to be impaired in this environment. Yeah, so that's something to keep in mind when designing behavioral tasks. Also, I think the home cage, the mobile home cage, might be good for simple maze tasks. So not exactly open field, but yeah, maze tasks. Well, I do know that Neurotar can assist with the custom design of mazes to be used with the mobile home cage. So that's something to be to keep in mind as well. Just look through the questions now. Okay, Conrad, here's one for you. So you mentioned that circadian rhythm is an important factor influencing corticosterone blood concentration. Did you take this into account when designing your experiments? Oh, I'm glad you asked this question. Yes, we did consider this factor. Therefore, we had four different times of day for the head fixation corresponding to the early morning, the midday, the early afternoon, and the late afternoon. These time points were in line with other studies, so we have a direct comparison. And I will present a detailed analysis related to this issue on my SFN poster, and obviously it shall be also included in, in our paper. Perfect. Okay. And and here's a question for you. How do you find the same cells from one day to the next? That's a good question. First, actually, I make sure uh, I lower the objective lens at approximately the same spot on the cranial window every day, so at about the center. And then I use markers such as blood vessels. In our case, the GCAMP6 is co-expressed with the red fluorescent protein MRuby, which is a static marker. So this labels all the cells. The GCAMP6 image is not constant because it depends on the activity of the cells, but the image from the MRuby channel 
is constant. And so I find it to be really useful for comparing fields of view from one day to the next. Perfect. Thanks, Anne. Okay, here's another question. What are the limitations of head fixed behavior with two-dimensional locomotion for research on addiction mechanisms and more broadly for research on synaptic plasticity and habit formation? Conrad, maybe you could lead this one. Sure. First, we should keep in mind that chronic stress goes hand in hand with vulnerability to addiction. But let's say we minimize this impact as much as possible in our habituation protocol that I suggested in my presentation. So another challenge is that mice, when head fixed, uh, have limited spectrum of movement, even in the mobile home cage. Therefore, translating non-behavioral paradigms and designing the optimal movement sequences for rodents in this experimental setting possibly demands some extra work. However, it's definitely possible. And finally, I think that habit formation and related synaptic plasticity can be similar to one observed in the freely moving animals. And we certainly hope so, but it may be also like unsaid about the spatial orientation that it may be impaired or, or it may be different. So it has to be studied in careful experiments comparing results from freely moving animal and head fixed animal side by side in different aspects. Okay, perfect. Thanks. Next question here. Why do you bother about measuring stress evoked by head fixation if you also perform some other procedures that affect stress level? in your final experiments. Conrad, that's, this one's for you. This is another great question. So some researchers ignore this issue because they think that stress is the inherent problem of this method uh, that cannot be avoided. Others ignore it because they think that it is not so important confounding factor. But finally, I think that the majority of researchers perform some kind of habituation protocol, but there had been no physiological data confirming that this procedure was helpful at all. Therefore, our studies deliver data for a better choice of the habituation protocol. And it also gave some understanding of the level of stress, which will be especially useful in terms of drug testing or plasticity processes. Obviously, there is still some stress related to other procedures that are used, but we know at least what is the baseline level of this stress to begin with. Okay, perfect. And, and out of curiosity, what's your habituation protocol like? So we do twice daily training sessions of 45 minute sessions. And for the linear track, it takes us tw about 12 sessions. But for the open field, it takes us much longer about, if I remember correctly, 18 sessions. Okay, interesting. And Conrad, is it uh, for a linear track, is that similar to your experiences? Actually, you know, going along going along the corticosterone levels that I shown, I think that the longer procedure that Anne is using goes hand in hand with my suggestion of longer pro uh, protocol if you really are uh, interested in reducing stress to the minimum. Perfect. Okay. Okay. Next question here, and maybe you could lead this one. Doesn't the removal of part of the brain affect the mouse's behavior? Yeah, that's a valid question, and the answer is no, actually. This technique was first uh, implemented by David Tank's group in 2010, and they showed in controlled experiments that the cortical removal did not affect the performance of the mice in the tasks and that the electrophysiological properties of the cells within and without the hippocampal window were not significantly different. So in our case, we remove parts of the parietal cortex, the visual and the hind limb sensory cortex. And it appears removing 
a small chunk of brain does not uh, affect the behavior of the mouse significantly. Interesting. Okay, great answer. So you both mentioned the Neurotar tracking system in your presentations. And so what's your experience with it? Uh, does it change the weight of the floating container? Conrad, maybe you could address this one first. Yeah, sure. So when we ordered tracking system, I didn't really predict that it will change the weight of the floating container because of the magnets used for tracking. However, it did, and they are embedded in a synthetic insert that is very light, but has some different texture. So another thing is that the carbon fiber used for floating container gives different support for the mouse uh, to walk on than the insert. So it is not a problem, but in terms of movement studies, it's important to know. And the other thing is that the system itself is carefully designed and has many useful features. So we were pretty happy about it. But I would say that the software for the analysis is still at its beta phase. So you can analyze everything as you want, but it's not automatic. You, you have pretty much raw data and you can do whatever you want with this raw data. Perfect. And Anne, do you have anything to add? So we compensate for the change in uh, or for the added weight with more air. And it works out to be quite fine in terms of animal movement. We're quite happy with the tracking system. Before we got it, I was using a, an IR tracking system, which worked, but uh, was a lot of work in terms of processing and Yes, in terms of image processing afterwards. So, yeah, we're quite happy. Perfect. Okay. And, and Conrad, um, out of curiosity, so you mentioned EthoVision in your presentation. Does Neurotar's tracking system work in tandem with it, or is it one or the other kind of thing? No. So, EthoVision is just uh, analysis software. So, basically, I can feed in the video that I recorded, and then I use the EthoVision to, to analyze it. I can record a video with the Etovision as well, but I didn't do it. I, I, re, I just record separately. And I, I just tracked the sticker that was attached to the floating container. So anytime that the sticker was under the frame, I was missing the sample. And obviously, I could take this into account in my final analysis, but the, there was like 2 to 3% of missing object, and I couldn't do anything about it. And obviously, mm -hmm. thinking about any more specific experiments like place preference, it would be very difficult just by tracking the sticker to actually do it. So uh, neurotar tracking is pretty much necessary to, to have more precise analysis. Uh, with the EtoVision, I could say movement, no movement, acceleration maybe, but just that's really basic, basic analysis. Okay, perfect. Thanks, Conrad. Did you have a control related to the blood sampling itself? And if so, what was it? Yeah, we used a similar control to the one used in the alcohol studies. So that means that some animals were withdrawn from our studies after a single blood sampling at a different time point. So for instance, 5 days, 15 days, and 25 days. And these results were directly compared with the results from the animals that had multiple blood samples taken. I didn't dedicate a lot of time for these control experiments, but I have at least one animal to compare in each group. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.